0: Hey, Pastor Bobby here. I'm so glad you're joining us to hear what God is sharing with our community here at Chapel. And I pray, I am praying right now for you that this message will bless you. It'll be an inspiration to you. It will challenge you to be who God has called you to be and to do what God has called you to do. And so as we jump into the message, I pray that you open up your mind to God's word. Open up your heart to God's spirit and watch the two come together to bring a supernatural miracle in your life. So let's jump into what God is speaking to us right now. Uh, in two weeks, so October 6th, I believe it is, that Sunday we start a brand new series called Not Today, Satan. Everybody say, Not Today, Satan. Not today, Satan. It's going to be all about protecting what you love the most from the man or the thief who hates you the most. I mean, you know, the, Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And I believe there's principles in Scripture that will help you protect what you love most, which I would believe would be your family, your marriage, your finances, and your church. I believe there's scripture that helps us find a way to to keep Satan out of all four of those areas. We're going to start that October 6th. A lot of good stuff going on uh, just across the board. I've been in Michigan most of the week at a senior leader's prayer retreat with our Radiant family. Pastor Lee Cummings, who was here a couple weeks ago for prophetic presbytery, is the the pastor of Radiant Church in Kalamazoo, Michigan. And he's brought a a couple pastors up, said a couple days of just being just prayer. I spent, I think, Tuesday or Wednesday... Five hours in prayer. The first hour and a half was praying. The last three hours was basically just meditating in silence and just soaking in God and really clearing my mind of who I am in Christ and who Christ is to me. Uh, just really great week. So I've been excited about that. Uh, but a lot of good stuff going on here. Bibles turn to Philippians chapter 4 as we continue the mind control series. The first week we talked about it is not God's will for you to deal with anxiety, it is God's will for you to experience the peace of God in your mind, heart, and Life. And last week we talked about the gift of Sabbath that God gives us to push pause on the chaos and busyness of life so we can reset our minds, our hearts, and our spirits and take time to refresh ourselves so we can go back into that cycle again. And today we're going to talk about what I believe how Jesus handled anxiety when he faced it here on earth. Hebrews says that Jesus was tempted and went through every single thing just like us. So that way he'd be a compassionate mediator, compassionate intercessor for you and I. So there's nothing that you go through on earth that Jesus has not experienced as well. And it makes him compassionate towards us and intercede for us. And as you're turning there, years ago, the Mask of Zorro movie came out. For those of you that are young, you have no idea what I'm talking about. For everybody else, uh, you probably didn't watch it either because it's not that good of a movie. But the Mask of Zorro, there's a character called Alejandro. Alejandro is a man, he watched his brother get killed by Captain Love, who who was a Union soldier. Captain Love killed him right there in front of him. Alejandro got mad and angry. He made it his life's purpose to get revenge for his brother. All he wanted to do was kill this Captain Love figure in the movie. And so he spent most of his life trying to take out this entire army or brigade of Union soldiers. He would fight, he would lose. He would fight, he would lose. And he was angry, he was frustrated, he was anxious. And since he couldn't overcome the obstacles or the battles that he was facing, he turned to alcohol and became the city drunk. He was drunk constantly, all the time. He could not handle what he faced every single day. And then all of a sudden, Zorro, older Zorro figure, comes in, finds Alejandro. Says, Alejandro, do you really want to overcome your obstacles? Do you really want to overcome Captain Love? He said, yes. He said, well, you have some good things going your way. You're, You're aggressive, you're very impulsive, and you're pretty good with a sword. But I can teach you how to overcome your battles if you want to follow me. So very Jesus-like figure. So he brings Alejandro in this cave. And in this cave, he draws a circle. And he tells Alejandro, your job is to not leave this circle. This circle is your life. Live in it. And until you can conquer what's in this circle, you can't move outside of the circle. And he says, if you move inside this circle and you, and you conquer this circle, it will give you a bigger circle. But this circle is your life. Don't try to get outside of this life. Don't try to get outside of this circle. I believe God gives us a circle of responsibility and everything outside of that circle is God's responsibility. I believe there's a lot of us like Alejandro who are are frustrated, you're anxious, you're stressed, you're depressed because you're so busy trying to fight all these obstacles when all God has asked you to do is come inside this circle and trust him with everything outside of that circle. I believe anxiety is this when you're so busy fighting things and taking responsibility for things that are God's responsibility while overlooking all the good things God has given you inside your circle. Mark Batterson, in his book The Circle Maker, uses Honey the Circle Maker character who is probably about two or three hundred years before Christ. Honey the Circle Maker, at this time in Israel, there's a huge drought, the crops are wasting away, there's no water to drink. Honey the Circle Maker gets a stick and he draws a circle in the dirt. And as he finishes the circle, he tells God, God, I'm not going to leave this circle until you make it rain. And what he's saying is this circle is my life. I'm going to trust you with everything else out of that circle. God, I'm not going to try to make it rain. I'm not going to try to do anything. I'm going to trust you in this circle. This is my responsibility. I'm going to do what I can do. And I'm going to trust you to do what only you can do. And as he trusted God and he stayed in that circle, he'd draw that circle every day and he would pray and pray and pray. Finally, it started to rain upon the ground. And that parched land got wet and got muddy. The crops began to flourish. Water became prevalent to drink from. All because one man said, this is my responsibility. I'm going to trust God with his responsibility. There's way too many people, way too many people in this church, way too many people in our community, way too many people in this world who overlook our personal responsibility to God, to to be faithful, to trust him, to pray, to seek him, while we're outside of the circle trying to do everything God's responsible for. And you'll always be anxious when you think you are God. Because you have the inability to do the things God can do, but you do have the ability to do what you can do. Stay in your circle and trust God with everything. Trust God with tomorrow. Trust God with next week. Trust God with your finances. Trust God with, with your kids. Trust God with your marriage. Trust God with everything outside of your circle, but take care of what he's given you inside this circle of your life. If you're a husband, pray for your wife. If you're a kid, submit and honor. There's all types of things you can do in this circle, but you can't get anxious by trying to control tomorrow, by trying to control next week, trying to control the futures of people that you love. You cannot handle the stress of being God. If you would, stand to your feet as we read Philippians chapter four. We're gonna start in verse six. It says, do not be anxious. Everybody say, do not. It means do not be anxious. Do not be anxious about anything, anything, anything. That means anything in the Greek. Do not be anxious about anything, all-encompassing. But in everything, say everything. Everything. So now he's comparing in anything, don't be anxious, but in everything, in prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And when you do that, when you... Aren't anxious about anything, but in everything you're seeking God in prayer and in supplication and in thanksgiving. Then it says in the peace of God, not the anxieties of the world, not the cares or stresses of your job, not the stresses of raising four teenage kids at the same time, not the anxiety of being a University of Tennessee fan, Not the stresses of life, but the peace of God. Not that God gives peace, but the peace of God. And here's how Paul describes it. A peace that surpasses your understanding. Meaning, I don't understand why I have peace. Everybody else is in chaos world. And one secular theologian or secular psychiatrist said, there will come a day and age where everyone is mad everybody's frustrated, everybody's upset, and those that are not mad, everyone will ask, what's wrong with you? I think we've reached that time and age. And I think Paul is saying, you'll have a peace that no one else could understand. You'll have a peace that no one else can comprehend. It's greater than your mind because it comes from your spirit and it comes from God. He says, it passes all understanding and it will guard your hearts and your minds. It will protect your minds and your hearts from the stress of the world. It will guard your mind and your heart from the worries of tomorrow. It will guard your hearts from the attacks of the enemy. But it only comes by prayer, supplication, and thanksgiving. Don't be anxious for anything. But in everything, prayer, supplication, and thanksgiving, then the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, will guard you and your life. I think you could take the scripture and actually lay it out. If you're dealing with anxiety to a high level, maybe your prayer life is weak compared to your anxiety. Maybe you spend more time thinking anxious thoughts than you do giving those thoughts to God. I, I, I doubt I could find a man who is dedicated to God in prayer that also deals with doubt, worry, and anxiety. Because at some point they will transfer that anxiety over to God and let God pick up their burdens. Father, we love you. And we thank you that you are God who cares for us. You care about every single detail of our lives. And Father, you tell us in this scripture right now that every single worry we have, we can hand over to you. Father, every prayer, every need, every thanksgiving, Father, we hand over to you and celebrate you. But Father, we have nothing to be anxious for because we have everything in you. As far we trust you, I pray this word transforms the minds in this room today. Father, let your word be true, and every wrong thought, every false thought, every doubtful thought be a lie in this place. As far we thank you for the blessings of your word, Holy Spirit, confirm it and seal it in our hearts in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Do not be anxious for anything, but in everything, prayer, supplication, and thanksgiving. I think it's easy to say what he's trying to say is prayer is what guards my heart and my mind with the peace of God. If I need peace, I must go back to guarding my mind with prayer, must guard my heart with prayer. But this isn't any type of normal. This isn't Southern Bible Belt prayer. This isn't, Lord, I thank you so much for these ribs from Bunyan's. God bless His food. Bless these ladies that work here. They're irritable. They're angry at everybody. Bless them, Father, in Jesus' name. This isn't prayer, you know, I lay me down to sleep, my soul to keep. It's not, it's not a mental prayer. See, we look at prayer as being something we regurgitate or something we say. Prayer is much deeper than I actually Believe prayer is the wrestling between God's spirit and our desires. And I believe when you pray long enough, you'll actually see God's spirit strengthened and overcome your flesh, overcome your weaknesses, overcome your desires so that God's will will come to pass. It's like the wrestling of two wheels, my will and God's will. And in prayers where I wrestle with those two things together. And we see this in the life of Jesus. Like Jesus dealt with anxiety. Like he dealt with anxiety probably to a level none of us in this room have ever fathomed. Anxiety. Anxiety fear, worry, stress. And you see it here in Luke chapter 22. And I think the reason this is important is many times we think, well, you know, Jesus doesn't really understand what I'm going through. Like He's he's God, like he had it, like he didn't understand my pain. He didn't understand my worries or my anxiety. In Luke chapter 22, this is what it says. This is the night Jesus is betrayed by one of his best friends. So I'm sure everyone in this room has had somebody betray them Somebody offend them, somebody harm them. Jesus had it. Jesus is about to lose his life. Jesus is about to go before a crowd of people who mock him. The people that were praising him, Hosanna in the highest, a couple of days earlier are now screaming, crucify him, kill him. He's a fraud. People he healed, people he loved on, are now hating him and wanting to see him dead. And that same night he goes to pray because it's, it's so stressful that now he's about to carry the pain and the sins and the burdens of the world upon him. Somebody who never experienced the shame of sin is about to carry the sin of every single person who's ever lived. Can you imagine taking your most shameful moment and multiplying that by like 10 billion in weight and putting that on Jesus? That's the environment we find him in. And it says, and he came out and went as it was his custom to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. That temptation could be sin, it could be anxiety, it could be fear, it could be giving up, it could be doubt, but there's a temptation. He says, pray that you don't enter into that temptation. He doesn't say go on Facebook and ask people for advice. He says, pray that you do not fall into this temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down. And then Jesus prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. So he prayed again, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. That only happens in super rare circumstances that medical professionals tell us, you can actually sweat blood. When you're such a, at a high level of stress and anxiety, your body gets under stress and your capillaries underneath your skin actually start bursting, not due to harm or trauma, due to stress. Those capillaries start bursting and they start producing sweat that is actually blood. Jesus here crying, weeping. He's so stressed out about carrying the pains and burdens of you and I that he's sweating blood. That is anxiety to the highest level. And it says he's sweating blood. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. What's ironic here is that Jesus is dealing with his weakness and his anxiety and his pain and his future suffering through prayer not through anything else. The disciples were just arguing with Jesus on this same night. Jesus, who's going to be the greatest in your kingdom? Like, can I sit at your right hand? You know, can he sit at your left hand? Like, can we, like they were proclaiming how great they were. Then they go into the garden to pray and they're weak in their flesh. They, They can't pray, they're asleep. Jesus recognized his weakness and went to God in prayer for strength. Too many of us are like the disciples. We claim we're strong, but as soon as temptation hits, we fall. Jesus never claimed to be strong. He knew he was weak and needed the Father's touch, needed the Father's strength, and took his needs and his weakness to God the Father so he could strengthen him in prayer. He was anxious. And instead of trying to find a way to cover up his anxiety, he went to God in prayer and prayed his way to peace. He prayed his way to peace. He applied this scripture Paul is teaching. He wasn't anxious about anything, but in everything. When he got anxious, he went to God in prayer and said, God, I'm I'm struggling here. God, I don't know if I can handle this. God, I don't know if I can, I can deal with this. God, I don't know if I, you know, I don't know what's going to happen when I leave, if the disciples can pick up the mission and go on. And he's dealing with this anxiety and stress, but instead of holding on to it, he took it to God and said, God, if you want it, you can have it. Not my will, but yours be done. And it didn't happen the first time. Mark records and Matthew records that Jesus prayed three times in the garden. So the first time he prayed, he's praying, God, if you can't take this cup from me, I don't know if I can handle it. And he walked away and I don't think he quite experienced the peace yet. So he goes back and he prays again, Father, if you're willing, take this cup of suffering from me. Nevertheless, it's not my will, but yours be done. He walks away again, but he still didn't have that peace of God. So he goes back a third time and says, Father, if, if there's any way you could take this cup from me, take it from me. But if not, it's your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And something happened during that third prayer where the peace of God flooded Jesus' heart. He was strengthened from the inner man and he got up and went and faced everything. Listen to this faced everything he was anxious about while he's in the garden. So instead of being victimized by his anxiety, he overcame his anxiety and fulfilled the purpose God had upon his life. Some of you need to quit complaining about your anxiety and not to be brash, but you need to pray yourself to peace. Well, pastor, I've tried that. It didn't work. Do it again. Well, pastor, I've done it a couple times. Do it again. If Jesus had to pray three times, I think it may take us a little bit more. Well, I prayed for healing, I didn't get it. Do it again. God, I prayed for my husband, do it again. I prayed for my kids, do it again. Sometimes you have to keep going back to the Father until what you're saying, you start believing in your heart. See, there's a difference between prayer of the mind and prayer of the heart. There's a difference between walking into prayer and trying to tell God to fulfill your will and going into prayer and saying, God, not my will, but yours be done. God, it's not your will for me to be anxious, therefore I'm not going to be anxious. God, if it's not your will for me to be afraid, then I'm not going to be afraid. God, if it's not your will, I don't want to be a part of it. But God, if it's your will, I'll carry it. If it's your will, I'll carry it. See, we have to get beyond this, this mental-based Christianity. We have to get beyond the surface level Christianity where people just come, they say the right things, they try to do the right things, but it never quite gets to the inside of them and transforms them from the inside out. What I mean by this is prayer is not mental. Bible study is mental. You know, a lot of things are mental in church. Preaching is mental. We have a lot of scripture memorization, a lot of Bible studies. But you know the one thing the church is the weakest in? Prayer. Prayer. Well, how can you say that, Pastor? We'll have 700, 800 people here to hear preaching of the Word. We have Seek Night, we'll have 250, which means there's probably 500 people that deal with anxiety but don't want to deal with it the way God wanted to deal with it. They want a preacher to to make them feel comfortable in their anxiety for an hour or two, but they don't want to take their anxiety to God or let that get to the heart level. See, prayer is really the stripping over or stripping off of all this facade, the church lingo, the church clothes, the church mask, the, the fakeness the, and getting authentic and real with God and exposing your heart to God. Because the Spirit of God is on the inside of you and if you're going to be strengthened, you're going to be strengthened from the inside out not the outside in. Like, like, like your help's not coming from the outside. Your help's going to come from the inside in. The Spirit of God lives on the inside of you. In the spirit of God, wherever he is, there is freedom. There is hope. There is joy. There is peace. There is power. Everything you could dream about about heaven is on the inside of you. And most people never let it out. They never get beyond their thoughts into the treasure chest of heaven. that is Prayer is this. It's spending enough time with God and breaking off the layers of your flesh so that you can get to the inner man, the spirit man, to discover the treasures that are inside of you, to discover the peace of God that is inside of you, the joy of the spirit that's inside of you, the power of God that's inside of you. It's inside of you. But you don't tap into it through Bible study. You tap into it through getting with God in this wrestling of your flesh and your spirit and letting the spirit man finally break through the flesh. Like your flesh is like this hard, rocky ground. And prayers where you till up the ground and you loosen the soil so that way the spirit man who's underneath the soil can break through and bring the fruit of the spirit into your life so you have something to hold on to. So you have something to give away. So you have something to share. One theologian years ago said it this way. He said, try to enter the treasure chamber that is within you and then you will discover the treasure chamber you have on the inside of you for they are one and the same. If you succeed in entering one, you will see both for the ladder of the kingdom of God is hidden inside of you. It is in your soul. And if you wash your soul clean of sin, you will see there the rungs of the ladder in which you may climb. And when you repent of your sin to God, you let sin wash out of your heart, you should start seeing the rungs of heaven inside of your heart. And through prayer, you can climb those rungs and start discovering all of the treasure that God deposited and imparted into you via his spirit is already inside of you. And if you spend enough time with God, you'll discover, I believe everything God gives us, he gives us that salvation. But I believe discipleship is discovering and learning what God has already given you. And through prayer, you discover an encounter with God from the inside out that relieves you of the anxieties and cares of the world because you're living in the peace of God. And Paul said there's three ways to do that. He said prayer, supplication, thanksgiving. Prayer is this. Prayer is being mindful, being mindful of the presence and love of God that's already inside of you. And it's like that same circle that you have all these other cares around you. But if you can just stand in the circle and realize this is my responsibility to pray and be mindful, meaning let the love of God that's already in my heart, the presence of God that's already inside of me, let it come from my heart into my mind where I'm dealing with my anxiety at. Let my heart flood my mind with the love of God. Let my heart flood my mind with the presence of God. Let my heart flood my mind with the promises of God. Because God loves you. Like we just sang in this song, at your darkest, deepest moment, God loved you. In the middle of your worst sin, God loved you. And he loves you from the inside out. Many times our heart believes something our mind doesn't believe. And what happens, there's this battle that happens that in my heart I know God loves me, but my mind is telling me God doesn't care. And anxiety goes skyrocketing out of control when I think God doesn't care about me anymore. And in prayer is when I allow my heart to have this encounter heart to heart with God's heart. It is in prayer that I have this encounter heart to heart. My heart becomes bare before God. And God's heart becomes bare before me, and I realize the love of God that's already inside of me, and it gives me strength to not worry about what's on the horizon. It gives me power to not worry about what's coming up tomorrow. Because if I know God has my back, if I know God loves me, that is the number one linchpin for everything else. But the moment I forget God loves me, everything crumbles. Ephesians chapter one says, chapter three says this way. For this reason, this is Paul saying this. I bow my knees before the Father. He's praying to God, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through your spirit or through His spirit in your inner being. it to come from the inside. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, in his love, being rooted and grounded in his love. Not a love for the world, not a love for anxiety, not a love for stress, but in his love may have strength to comprehend or to understand or the knowledge with all the saints. What is the breadth, the length and the height and the depth to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, and you may be filled with all the fullness of God. He's saying, I'm praying that I can experience God's love. I'm praying that you can experience God's love. Because once you experience God's love in your heart and you release it into your mind, you'll never comprehend it. You'll never understand God's love. The depth, the width, the breadth, the length, you'll never comprehend it. But it comes from the heart and floods your mind with this If God loves me, it doesn't matter what happens to me. If God loves me here in this circle, I'm not concerned with tomorrow. That only happens through an encounter heart-to-heart with God. But most of us never get to that heart prayer. And my concern is this, that God loves us unconditionally, but we love God conditionally. And so when we pray to God, we only seek God, when there's a condition that we're wanting to be met. I heard one person say, if you dislike somebody, you'll glance at them. if I dislike somebody, you've ever been in, like, Walmart or somebody you have to pass by, you don't really like them, you're like, hey, like, hey, like, like you try to, you know, try to ignore them, but you have to be Southern and mannerly. So if you dislike somebody, you'll glance at them. If you like somebody, you'll kind of look at them. But if you love somebody, you'll gaze in their eyes. And prayer is this deep gaze of my heart, in God's heart, where I see the love in his eyes that flood me with peace for the creator of the universe and the king of kings loves me. And you'll never get to that point until you reciprocate God's love for you. And it doesn't happen by reading the Bible. I I wish I could tell you that. You can know God loves you through reading the Bible, and I'm a word guy. You can know that he loves you. But there's this way knowing God loves you and experiencing or encountering God's love. It's like before I married Toya, like, I think every teenager thinks they're in love or, you know, young adult thinks, well, I'm in love. The dude's in a crack house. But I love him. He's awesome. He treats you like junkie beats you. Oh, but I'm in love. No, you're in lust. There's a difference. Everybody thinks they know love. Like, I thought I knew what love was. But after being with Toy for almost 18 years, I've experienced her love. Like I've encountered her love. Her loving me through the valleys of life. Her loving me in my weakest moments. Her loving me and showing she trusts me. And her sharing her life with me. Her giving herself to me. I've experienced love. I haven't just known about love. And we need to move beyond knowing about God's love to encountering his love. And it happens Through prayer. Happens through resting and meditating. Letting the God of the universe and the love of God flood from your heart and begin to fill your mind. And it will rock your world. Prayer is reminding myself, I have my mind full of the love of God and the presence of God. But there's also He says supplication. Supplication is this. Supplication is having your mind full of God's provision and his power. What that means is supplication actually means to plead humbly before God. Meaning, I need this, God. I'm laying this at your feet. It's a request being made. You only make requests to somebody who has the ability to give it to you. And so if I'm not requesting things of God, if I'm not making supplications, it's either because I don't think God cares enough about me to make it happen Or I don't think he has the ability. I know God has the ability to provide for me and my family. He can provide financially. He can provide physically. He can heal my family. He can heal our relationships. He can heal us. God has more than enough provision. The bank account of heaven is full with a treasure trove of whatever you need. He has the ability. He also has the power to move things and change things. What happens is once I lose sight of his power or the power that's already on the inside of me, I'll neglect my prayer life and my mind will wander to all the impossibilities instead of the possibilities. But when I'm in prayer and I'm reminded of his power, when I'm reminded of his provision and it floods my mind, it takes those impossibilities and makes them possibilities. Those things outside the circles, I've been anxious about knowing. I don't know this is going to happen. This is going to happen. When, I, when I stand in the circle and I soak up the power of God, and I, my mind is full of God's provision, I don't have to be concerned about what tomorrow brings. Because he's got more than enough for today and for tomorrow. He's got enough for the next day. God is already there, and I can trust the fact that if he can provide for me now, he can do it then. He says this in 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7. He says, "Humble yourselves," Meaning, Submit yourselves to prayer under God. Quit trying to do it on your own. Quit trying to get outside of your circle. Stay in your circle. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Not the small hand, not the little hand. The mighty hand of God. So that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him. Do not be anxious for anything, but cast your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. So there's this dilemma here. If I'm carrying anxieties that Jesus here says he wants you to cast them upon him, why am I still holding on to these anxieties? Why would I hold on to anxieties that Jesus just said, cast these cares, cast these anxieties onto me? I think he says it in the very last part, because he cares for you. Maybe you're holding on to your anxiety because you don't think God actually cares for you. You don't think God cares about your anxieties or your burdens. See, prayer should be this, this transfer of my burdens and my anxieties back onto Jesus. I know that he cares. For, he's saying, I care for you. I want to carry your burden for you. You can't do it. You can't carry this anxiety. You can't carry the anxiety for tomorrow or next week or next month. You don't have the ability to be God. You don't have the ability to do this. You don't have the ability to do that. But you're carrying this burden. There's way too many people in church world who are carrying a burden that God did not call you to carry. God called you to carry a cross, not a burden. God called you to carry a cross, not anxiety. But you're carrying this burden because you think it makes you look more strong. In reality, it makes you look more weak. And you're carrying all this thinking, I'm a good Christian. I'm carrying this burden. I'm carrying that burden. I'm a good Christian. And Jesus is saying, Why are you carrying it? I just told you, cast it onto me. That means in prayer, I should go into prayer and move my anxieties over to Jesus. I should have my hands empty when I leave my prayer closet. I should have my heart empty from the cares of the world when I walk into my prayer closet. And my mind should be empty of anxiety when I walk out of my prayer closet. Why? There should be a transfer of my jump onto Jesus. That's what he's saying. I can carry your burden. I'm God. I can carry it. I can carry your anxiety. I can carry your sin. I can carry your evilness. I can carry your junk. I can carry it, but I can't carry it until you throw it on me. And too many of us will go into prayer. Oh God, you know, I got this going on. I got, you know, these kids are growing up, they're crazy. Like RJ last week put a snake in my backpack that was a real snake. Like, God, like, you gave him to me, either take him out or I'm gonna take him out. Something has that. God, you know, you got this going on, you got this church, you got this going on, and you walk and you leave out a prayer. And you're like, well, this prayer thing doesn't work. I don't have any more peace. Well, you didn't pray, you just complained. You just complained to God. God, you gave me this, God you gave me that. No, prayers when I take it and I throw it at God. God, I can't handle this son, and I throw him over there to you. God, I can't handle this church. This is your church. God, this marriage is tough. This is your marriage. And you start casting things on because it's all God's anyway. And you cast it on him, and then you walk out, and you're like, whew, I feel so much better. And you go through the day, and you start accumulating more stuff, so the end of the day or the next day, you go back and you throw it back on. But some of you identify with your burden more than you do Christ. So you go into prayer, you God, I can't handle this. God, I can't handle this addiction. God, I can't handle this. And, And you leave and you pick it back up and you carry it because this is how you get attention from people that don't even like you on Facebook. This is how you share who you are with the world. This pain, this struggle, this situation and it becomes your identity. So you go into prayer and you'll complain about it, but you pick it back up and carry it with you. You can only carry one or two things, your cross or your anxieties. So when I go into prayer, i got to move it off of me and let God have it and walk out a free man. That's how you get saved. Like when you get saved, you're literally saying, Jesus, I repent. Repenting means change my mind. I'm not going to carry this. I'm giving you the sin. I'm giving you my adultery, my fornication, my addiction. I'm giving this all to you because I can't carry it. And Jesus, says, I know. That's why I came. You can't carry it. Put it on my shoulders. And then my yoke is easy and my burden is light because I will carry it for you. You get saved that way, and you maintain your peace that you had a salvation in the same way. For by these things, you guard your minds and your hearts with the peace of God. It'll make you feel better. As a counselor, I know, I was telling them earlier, like, I'm not a great counselor. Like, I give, this is what the Bible says. And I realized I hate counseling because when people want counseling, what they really want you to say is, you're going to be okay. You're fine the way you are. In reality, you're not Okay. Like you're here because everything's messed up, and you tell people, "Well, hey, you should probably do this and this and this." Like I can't believe you said that to me. You asked my opinion about what the Bible said. Jesus said, "Quit cheating on your wife, and your marriage will be better." Well, you're just judging me. What do you mean? That's counseling. A couple years ago, I had like the craziest counseling session in my life. Our first year in Alabama, this couple comes in have a baby that has some major issues, been in ICU, the one of the baby you prayed for. Didn't go to church here. And they sit down. I'm like, you know, how can I be with, well, we want our baby to pray prayed for. Man, I'd love to do that. But we have some stuff going on in our marriage. I'm like, well, man, share with me. I'll try to guide you and give you some wisdom. So all of a sudden, like Jerry Springer broke out. And I was like, oh my gosh. She's like, well, I just don't trust him because you know, he cheats on me. And, and I'm like, well, why are you cheating on And she said, well, he's cheating on me with, with his niece. I was like, my first year in Alabama. Is this common? Like, what? Like, what in the world? She says, yeah, he's he cheating on, because we let her move in and he cheats on her uh, on the couch and he comes in the bedroom. I'm like, oh, you need a black spouse in this case. My wife would kill me. Like, I was like, you cheat on her with your niece on the couch and you go back into the bedroom with your wife? He was like, yeah. He said, like, but she cheats on me too. I'm like, oh my gosh. Like, why are you doing? It? Well, she's cheating on me with a neighbor, and so he lived in like some trailer park up somewhere north Alabama, somewhere. And come of that, they're both cheating on each other with everybody in the trailer park. I'm talking about family, friends. I'm like, oh my goodness, oh my like, god, what kind of advice you give this? I just said, well, you know, if you're gonna cheat, maybe we should get outside of the neighborhood, <laughs> maybe outside of the family. And so I'm trying to like give them counsel or wisdom. I'm like, hey, you stop, be a man, do this, you do this. And then I pray for the baby because the baby was sick, anointed the baby with oil, and pray for the baby. And they're getting ready to leave. They said, they said, we feel so much better. I looked at them, walk out, and I was like, I'm glad because I feel like junk right now. Like I can't get that out of my mind. In the same way, when you go into prayer or counseling with God, you get that stuff out of your heart. You get your shame, you put it on Jesus. You get your guilt, you put it on Jesus. You get your worries, you put it on Jesus. And it's like a counseling session, heart to heart, where you give it to him, and then you can leave. You're saying, I feel better, and Jesus like, I hope that doesn't happen again. It should bring peace as you cast those things. Prayer is the relief valve of your soul. When your soul, your heart starts getting too full with the cares, prayer is how you squeeze that valve and let that stuff go out and get it out of your heart. And you can pray. He says this in Psalm 55:2, Cast your burdens on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. You can pray that. Let's pray, God, I cast my burdens on you. You said in your word that you'll strengthen me. That, Father, I will not be moved, and I'm trusting you right now. I'm casting this burden. I'm casting this family burden. I'm casting this financial burden. I'm casting this anxiety burden. I'm casting this job burden. I'm casting these things on you, Father, and I'm trusting you with that. Father, show me what I need to do in my circle, but I'm trusting you with everything outside the circle. Father, I'm casting these things on you. I need your peace in my life. I can only have peace as I move the anxiety off of me. Father, I thank you that you can handle my burdens. I thank you that you can handle my anxiety. Father, I thank you that you can handle my sickness, my disease, my sin, my shame, my guilt. And, Father, I just lay it down right now at the feet of Jesus. And, Father, I pray as I leave here, I leave with the peace of God that surpasses understanding in my mind, in my heart, in my soul, and in my life. It's a simple prayer. But it has to come from the heart. It can't be lip service. And he says, number three, he goes from prayer to supplication to thanksgiving. Thanksgiving means having your mind full, being mindful of God's blessings and his future hope. Being mindful, letting the blessings that I know I've experienced with God that are in my heart, letting them flood my mind with thanksgiving. And it's amazing to me as Christians, we have more than enough to be grateful for, but yet we're really only grateful at thanksgiving. You don't hear people saying what they're thankful for very often in in church world or school or with Christians until it's Thanksgiving time. This scripture says this, Colossians 3, 15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Again, the peace, rule or guard in your hearts to which indeed you are called into one body and be thankful. Again, he's connecting Thanksgiving and peace. Peace and Thanksgiving. But we have to learn to be people that are thankful for what God has already done. We have to be people that are thankful that we have a hope for tomorrow. We have to be people that are thankful that there's a hope beyond my circle into the future. There's research years ago. This this team wanted to kind of see how people view things. And they had this, this video. It's now on YouTube. This video of two teams playing basketball. One team had black jerseys on. The other team had white jerseys on. They're playing basketball. They had 200 people watch this video. And they said in the video, we need you to count how many times the white team passes the ball. So these people, each one, one at a time, watch this video, and they're counting, one, two, three, counting all these things. At the end of the video, they get all the people together and ask them in individual conversations or interviews. And they said, how many times they pass the ball? Well, you know, 36, 21. They give giving all these numbers. They said, did you see anything interesting in the video that shouldn't be there? And they're like, no. So what they didn't know, it's about 25-second mark of the video. As they're counting the passes, a man in a gorilla suit walks from one side of the screen all the way to the other. So for five seconds, they're counting back, so a gorilla man walks across the screen. They asked him, did you see anything awkward in the video? No. Like, you didn't happen to see a gorilla walking in a video? No. They said, well, at the 25-second mark, a man a gorilla walks across the screen for five seconds. They said, I don't believe you. They showed them a video again. Now they see it. 46% of the 200 people never saw the gorilla. What that tells me, they call it inintentional blindness, meaning I can be in my circle and have a heaping load of blessings in front of me. I can have joy. I can have peace. I can have a family that loves me. I can have hope. I can have all these things. But if I'm so busy looking out there at what I don't have or looking at what other people have, I can be unintentionally blind to the things I have to be grateful for today. In the same way, you never see the gorilla of God's blessings in your life because you're so caught up in everything in the world, so stressed out, so anxious, worried about that, worried about that, and you overlook the blessings God has already given you. It's like, but if you start looking for blessings, you'll find them. It's like when you buy a new car. You buy a car, no one else has this, no one I know has this car, you know, I've got a Ford Explorer, I'm going to get a black, I haven't seen any of those on the road. You buy it, the next day, every car is a black Explorer. Like, what in the world is, what? Because you're looking for it now. It was always there, you just weren't looking for it. And secular psychologists have said this about the benefits of gratitude. This is a secular psychologist. And I love the fact that secular psychology is now catching up with Jesus. Like, like most of them are just saying the things Jesus said, they just say it in really scientific terms. Gratitude brings improved physical, emotional, and social well being brings greater optimism and happiness, improved feelings of connections in times of loss or crisis, increased self-esteem, heightened energy levels, not quite to the extent of coffee, but close, strengthened heart immune system and decreased blood pressure, not from medicine, from being grateful and having Thanksgiving, improved emotional academic intelligence. I mean, if you need to pass your test this Friday, you need to start thanking God now. Expanded capacity for forgiveness, meaning the more grateful I am now, the more I have grateful to be for everything else. Decreased stress, anxiety, depression, and headaches just from being grateful for what I already have. Improved self-care and heightened spirituality or the ability to see something bigger than ourselves. Meaning a grateful heart sees all the benefits that are around you. It sees what you have as more than enough. But a complaining heart which is the difference between being grateful, sees everything is not enough. But That's really the dilemma here. You can either be grateful or be a complainer. Well, I just keep my mouth shut. That means you're complaining because it takes a mouth to lift up thanksgivings unto the Lord. Well, I just don't say anything. Well, then you're a complainer because you have more than enough to declare and worship God for now. And so the difference is when you're a complainer, you see every blessing as not good enough. My spouse is not good enough. My family's not good enough. My job's not good enough. My church is not good enough. This is not good enough. This is not good enough. Nothing's good enough. But when you're thankful, you're thinking, God, God, thank you for my spouse. God, thank you for my job. God, thank you for this. And it changes your mentality. And it's actually the way Jesus operated. Jesus operated out of a thankful heart for what he had and expected God to bring more. In John chapter 6, amazing scripture. I'm going to set it up for you. This is the second feeding of the multitude, or 5,000, with a few loaves of bread and a few fish. The disciples had just seen, depending on how chapters, just a couple of days before, a couple of chapters earlier, Jesus had just fed a multitude with a few loaves of bread and a couple of fish. And it sets up like this, lifting up his eyes and seeing a large crowd that was coming toward them. Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? So they're short on bread again. He said that this to test him. So Jesus is testing him about if they have more than enough or not enough. For he himself already knew what he would do. And Philip answered him, we have 200 denarii, but that would not be enough to buy bread for each of them to get a little bitty piece. And one of his disciples, Andrew Simon, said, Peter's brother said to him, there's a boy here that has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? So these two are complaining. We, we have something, Jesus, but it's not enough. Like, this, is, this can do this, but it's not enough. It's not enough for all these people. And they're complaining about what they do have. Jesus said his answer. Have the people sit down. Now, there was much grass in this place, so the men sat down and about, uh, about 5,000 in number. And Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given, thanks. Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given, thanks. Look at the difference. Andrew and Peter Simon were complaining about what they had was not enough. They were looking at what they had. It's not enough to do this, not enough to do that. They were complaining about the blessing that was right there in front of them. Jesus, on the other side, takes what they're complaining about. Takes what they're saying is not enough. Takes what they're saying can't do what we needed to do. Takes what they're saying just can't happen. Jesus takes it. Instead of complaining about it, he says, I'm going to give thanks for this. Y'all keep complaining. I'm going to give thanks. He says, He gave thanks. Then he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told the disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the barley loaves. Left by those who were eaten. When the people saw the sign that had been done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. It's amazing to me that Jesus can take that which everybody else thinks is not enough, give thanks for it, and by the time this process is over, it's more than enough and fills up extra baskets. It's amazing to me that God can take not enough and be grateful for not enough and then it becomes more than enough. There's some of you in this room, you're complaining about not enough instead of thanking God for what he's already done. There's some of you in this room, you're wanting to be grateful, but you only be grateful when it's overflowing. You have to learn to be grateful when it's bare. Like the disciples were operating. I could tell that Jesus obviously was anointed by the Spirit, but he trusted in prayer. He had to know that God was his provider. It may not look like it's enough. It may not look like it's going to do what I, he said it's going to do. It may not look like it'll fill up the baskets, but I know, my God, I've connected heart to heart with him in prayer. I know that God, my God is more than enough. So he takes it, he gives thanks for the very thing the disciples were complaining about. And after it was over, it was more than enough. Some of you need to repent for complaining about that which God has given you that you said is not enough. Some of you, you've been standing inside this circle, and you have all these blessings in front of you. But you get so caught up looking outside your circle at everybody else's stuff, everything else on social media, everybody else's blessing, and you're thinking, God, I'm frustrated with you. This is not enough. And God is saying to you today that if you would praise him and thank him for what he's already given you, If you thank him for the blessings he's already given you, he'll take your not enough, he'll stretch that circle and make it more than enough. Some of you with your spouse, listen to me, it's the same thing with salvation. Jesus looks at us, we're nothing, we're not enough. He thanks God for giving us to him and we become more than enough. Some of you have been complaining about your spouse is not enough. You complain to God, my spouse is not enough of a leader. My spouse is not enough caring. My spouse doesn't fulfill my needs. You've been complaining about that which God gave you. And until you thank God for what he's already given you, you'll never see a more than enough marriage. So you've been complaining about your job. God, this job is not enough. God, this job is not good. And instead of thanking God for it, you've been complaining about the provision God has brought into your life. And once you start thanking God for this, he could stretch that circle out a little bit more. Some of you have been complaining about your kids. God, my kids, they don't do this right. They don't do that right. God, I wish my kids could be like somebody else's kids. Instead of God, thank you. Thank you for giving me these kids. God, thank you that even with all the problems, these are my kids you've entrusted me with. And God will take that thanksgiving. He'll increase it and make it more than enough. See, the blessings are all around you if you'll start looking. I start every prayer. God, thank you for Toya. God, thank you for the provision she's been for me. Thank you that she completes me. Thank you that she loved me when I should not have been loved. God, thank you. And I I thank every one of my kids and the elders of this church, the staff of this church, this church. And I thank God for his provision for me, that he loved me, even when I was unlovable. And I start thanking him. And those things that seem small become really large. And it produces gratitude. And I have a journal now. I saw Pastor Anthony use, it's a five-year journal, and every day I'm writing down all the things in that day I'm grateful for. And you know what it does? The next day I see more reasons. And the next day I see more reasons. And I see how good I've got it. And when I'm grateful, anxiety flees from my life. See, gratefulness produces peace. Complaining produces anxiety. Jesus says, do not be anxious for anything, but by prayer in everything, prayer, supplication, and thanksgiving, and the peace of God, which surpasses your understanding, will guard your mind and your heart with the peace of God. If you would close your eyes and bow your heads just for a moment. We're going to go into one song of worship here in just a second, and we're going to give you a chance to practice this. What that means is altars be open, down front will be open. If you want to sit in your pew, if you want to kneel, if you want to lay, whatever it is. But Jesus said, my house shall be a house of prayer. That doesn't mean lip service or transition on the platform. It means a heart-to-heart encounter with God where you transition or cast your anxieties onto him, and you begin thanking him for everything he's given you. You thank him for the blessings that he's already rained down in your life. And as you do, it prolongs, I promise you. You start doing that five minutes a day, next month it'll be ten minutes a day. Fifteen minutes, it, it stretches. But before you get to that, you can't really even have a heart-to-heart encounter with God until you get a new heart from God. So some of you in this room, like you, you haven't discovered that treasure chest deep in your soul yet because your heart is still cluttered with sin and shame and guilt. The Bible says you actually have a heart of stone. And when you have a heart of stone, it's easy for your heart to become broken. It's easy for your heart to be heavy and weighed down. When you have a heart of stone, it's easy for your heart to weigh every blessing of God down. And Jesus says you have a heart of stone, but I don't want to give you a heart of flesh. A heart of flesh is tender, it's soft, it's malleable. It's hard to break something that's soft and tender. But the only way you can get that new heart... Is about to repent and confess your sin to Jesus and let him know, I've been trying to do my own circle, my own kingdom, be my own God, and I realize I'm just not good at this. And I want to relinquish my kingdom, want my kingdom to fall so I can be a part of your kingdom. And that happens by telling God, I need you, I want you, this is my sin, this is what I'm confessing, I'm handing it over to you so I can walk free. If that's you, every head is bowed, every eye is closed. Not gonna have you come forward, not gonna have you stand up. In a moment, I'll give you a chance. I'm gonna count down from three. When I get to zero, I just want you to raise your hand right where you are, and some of the ushers are gonna put a gift in your hand that has some resources and things to help you in your journey with Jesus. And then I'm gonna pray for you. You go from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh by repenting. Three, the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, only happens through a heart to heart encounter with God, which means you have to get sin out of your heart and get the Holy Spirit in. Two, God loves you and He cares about you. He loved you at your deepest, darkest, most evil moment. He's been waiting for this moment for you to give your heart to Him so He can give you something new. One, God ask. He commands us to cast our anxieties, cast our cares, cast our sins upon Him because He cares for us zero. If that's you, just raise your hand. Thank you. Anybody else? Just one quiet, private moment. See that's me. I I need to give Jesus my heart of stone so I get a heart of of flesh, a heart that is renewed with the Spirit. Anybody else? Father, we love you. We thank you for your blessings. We thank you that you are a God that cares for us, that loves us, and wants to meet with us in prayer. Father, we thank you for heart-to-heart encounters with you. I pray this church is a house of prayer. That, Father, people each and every week encounter you heart to heart. They get beyond the facade, beyond the issues, beyond the stuff, and meet with you face to face. Father, for every person that raised their hand, I just pray right now that, Father, you remove the heart of stone and give them a new heart that is saturated with the water of your spirit. Father, let that heart be tender and soft and new and fresh. And, Father, let them leave here knowing that the treasures of heaven are inside of them. Father, we pray that you let them walk... Step and step with you every single day of their lives. So we thank you for it in Jesus' name, Amen. If you would stand to your feet all over the room, please. We're gonna go back into one more song. Like I said, this is a five-minute prayer time. You say, you know what? I don't know what to pray. Pray those scriptures. Pray Ephesians three. Pray Psalm fifty-five, and pray God's scriptures and move beyond your mind into your heart. For somebody that may be come and just lay down, some may be soaked. Some may be to sit at a pew. Some may be to kneel. But be, get beyond your flesh and connect spirit to spirit with God.